0: very much for joining us for this podcast. The discussion today for everybody who's listening is on 2% chlorhexidine, 70% isopropyl alcohol versus 10% provoiodine for insertion cleaning before central line insertion in a randomized controlled trial. I'll have two of the authors with me in various parts of the world and I will ask them to introduce themselves. So perhaps if our Vancouver temporary resident uh, would like to go first.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Emily Kieran. I'm a neonatologist in the BC Women's Hospital in Vancouver and this was part of the work I did as part of my PhD when funded by the National Children's Research Centre in Dublin, Ireland and based in the National Maternity Hospital.
2: Colin O'Donnell here, a consultant neonatologist at the National Maternity Hospital in Dublin.
0: I have to say, I think this is a great study. I guess people are are used to me saying that, but we pick studies that we think are good for the podcast and will um, be interesting for people to get their teeth into. I read so few studies on skin cleansing, and I think this is a really important topic. So, Emily, can I ask you first, why this topic? Why is this important? Can you just give us a bit of background to why the people listening at home should be interested in this?
1: I suppose the whole question comes up about premature infants infection related to central lines and how to prevent infection. Um, And the most common kind of reason that these babies can get infected from lines is inappropriate skin cleansing. There's a lot of solutions out there but very little consensus about what's best to use for cleaning these baby skins before we put in central catheters. And in our unit at the time, we were using different solutions with not much published evidence behind which one we should be using. We'd seen complications associated with various different solutions. So we kind of came up with the idea of doing the trial to compare two of the most commonly used solutions out there at the time. Um, So that was the whole kind of theory behind it, or the basis behind the study. It's kind of well published in the adult literature that 2% chlorhexidine or chlorhexidine in alcohol or in in, um, aqueous solution is recommended for preventing sepsis when inserting central lines, but there's not much published in the neonatal literature. And so we proceeded and carried out the trial.
0: So what was your actual question, at the aim of the study?
1: So we wanted to assess was using 2% chlorhexidine and alcohol for cleaning the skin of infants born less than 31 weeks gestation better than povidone, aqueous povidone-iodine, with the primary outcome of preventing um, catheter-related bloodstream infection. So that's what we set out. That was the goal. And
0: you said yourself there are so many different solutions that were being used. Were these two solutions that were predominantly used in the hospital you were working at at the time? So, this was a a pragmatic sort of study based on the clinical environment with which you were currently working.
1: At the time when we were designing the study, these were the two solutions because of reported side effects and most commonly skin reactions from chlorhexidine in the smallest babies. Um, we used the different solutions depending on the gestational age of the baby and um, depending on skin integrity that povidone, iodine and chlorhexidine and alcohol were the two solutions being used in the two centres in the, in the study prior to the, um, prior to the study being carried out. There was the the solutions that we used, the um, formulation or the branding of solution, the chlorhexidine was um, different in the study to what we had used previously, but essentially it was the same solution.
2: My interest in it, Jonathan, if it, if it makes sense, is that over the years that I've been working in neonatology, the better part of 20 years at this stage, um, everybody's worried about line sepsis. We all put central lines in small babies and we all worry about um, catheter-related infections, which we saw more commonly. The problem is that infrequently, but Uh, Often enough that it would um, really alarm you, occasionally you would see pretty nasty skin reactions to whatever the type of um, cleaning solution you used was, where a baby would end up with, uh, particularly an extremely preterm baby, would end up with a nasty uh, reaction and possibly a skin burn. And that would prompt great. Soul-searching in whatever unit you worked in, and people would sit down and say, "God, we've got to do something, we've got to do something." Go to the literature. There's very little evidence except case reports of skin reactions and skin burns, so everybody would change whatever solution they were using um, to an alternative. Uh, and everybody would feel better for somewhere between six to eight to 12 months, mm-hmm. by which time then the new solution would cause another burn, and everybody would do the same thing and go around in circles, just changing solutions and infrequently getting a burn and not knowing what was happening to the infection rates.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I think there's so little published in this. I think it's a very opportune and good study to have. Just getting on to then the methods, there are a lot of methods in the paper. You have a very detailed description. Um, Emily, do you want to just summarize very briefly the sort of the pragmatic approach to the the trial and um, what was your primary outcome uh, and why that was particularly um, decided on and any particular points that you thought think are relevant for people to get to grips with how the trial was actually conducted. I see it's called an investigator-led trial, which I assumed means that you did all the donkey work.
1: Yeah, so I suppose why there is so much, as you pointed out, there's a lot of detail in the methods, and that because this was an unblinded study that was carried out on the day-to-day basis in an ICU by a a kind of hands-on, not very large research team, and it was being carried out at two different centres, we wanted to have the protocol for inserting catheters um, and using the solutions as standardised as possible. Um, Also, because there was reported so much much anecdotally and in the literature about um, skin reactions in particular associated with the solutions we wanted to have everything as kind of standardized as possible and to try and limit as much the potential of bias in the in the study and so that's why there was when babies were being you know they were randomized to one solution or the other and then there was the kind of strict protocol for the study as to how the skin was cleaned right down to the amount of solution that was used for chlorhexidine it was pretty straightforward because these were small vials of solution each of which kind of less than one ml of solution and for iodine there was a strict kind of guidelines on measuring out amounts that was used the babies were randomized for the first catheter that they had inserted um, and then they received the same type of solution for every subsequent um, central line uvc or pic that was inserted the primary outcome obviously because again this was an unblinded study and the two solutions looked very different Um, so for a primary outcome we wanted to have them as kind of defined an outcome as possible um, so we kind of went along the guide, catheter related infections themselves. The criteria are very ambiguous, kind of depending on where you are or which reporting system you're using. But we kind of picked the, the definition of sepsis being greater, babies had to be greater than 72 hours of age. Um, they had to have had a CVC in situ or removed within the previous 48 hours and at least one of the following um, criteria. So they had to have a recognised pathogen in a peripheral blood culture taken. Um, so something like a staph aureus infection or a ret- true pathogen or common skin commensal cultured on two or more peripheral blood cultures taken on different occasions or one positive culture with the positive with the CVC tip being positive for the same organism, um we kind of again to minimize bias as much as possible. the primary item was determined by one microbiologist who read all the read all the kind of blood culture and catheter. there so yeah that was kind of what we what we tried to have as a standardized uh, methods process um and determinants for a primary outcome.
2: Now, I think Emily's been very demure about the amount of work. When we say this was an investigator-led study, it means that we kind of hatched the plan and it wasn't sponsored by any industry or pharmaceutical yeah. company or anybody who's involved. There, there's no um, financial incentives or nobody even provided the cleaning solutions for the study. Um, the study was funded by very graciously and very generously by the National Children's Research Centre in Dublin, which mm. is funded purely by charitable donations from the public, and I suppose from philanthropy, but um, so we had a fairly limited budget, which meant that we though ideally, we would have loved to have been able to blind the study, uh, we wouldn't have had the budget to do it and just in it practically couldn't. And it was carried out at two sites for anybody who knows Dublin, the National Maternity Hospital and the Coombe Women's and Infants University Hospital, which are a couple of kilometres apart. Um, and Emily downplays it there, but did an extraordinary uh, sterling job of cycling frantically between the two um, and keeping an extraordinarily good handle on what was happening in a trial of an investigational medicinal product that's regulated by our competent authority, the health products uh, regulatory authority. So it takes an enormous amount of work, which she did you kind of get a sense of when you see the extent of the method section in the paper. Yeah. The, the, the crucial thing is, I suppose, is for us, is that it was an unblinded study, which is a weakness, uh, and we were aware of that at the design stage. So in that sense, to try and minimise bias, so we tried to pick very tight criteria that people objectively would stand back and say, yes, that really is an infection. So yeah, you needed, particularly for the majority of catheter-related sepsis, for it to be determined to be a skin infection, it had to be on two separate peripheral blood cultures, um, at different sites or a culture plus a tip that was infected um, that then we said okay fair enough that's an infection that maybe is in contrast to some other studies where they report culture negative sepsis we did report that but that wasn't our primary outcome because it's down to a clinician interpretation really and that would have been unsatisfactory as far as I'm concerned at least in an unblinded study.
0: Emily, your results. I suppose the elephant in the room is the the PAR calculation, which I imagine we'll get onto. It's worthwhile discussing. But in terms of your results, you wouldn't just summarize them for us, just for the listeners at home.
1: Okay. So basically the results for the primary outcome, there was absolutely no difference in rates of catheter-related sepsis between the two And the primary outcome was per total per infant, I think was 6.8% in chlorhexidine and 5.1% in povidone iodine. And there was no difference. Also, when we broke it down per catheter or per thousand catheter days, how um, is commonly reported for catheter related infections. So essentially, neither solution had any benefit over the one over the other for preventing catheter related bloodstream infection in premature infants. From the main secondary outcomes that we looked at, the main um, outcomes of interest. There was no, again, I will point out that we reported various secondary outcomes, none of which the study was powered to look at in particular, um, but that there was no difference in any skin reactions between two groups, which is one of the important secondary we we set to look at. And the second thing, what we did find was that statistically significantly more babies randomized to and iodine had raised thyroid stimulating hormone in their serum and were treated with tyroxine um, replacement therapy. There was no difference in any of the other kind of secondary outcomes that we measured. The rate of infection
0: is quoted as 35% and would hope to reduce it by 50% to 20%. And obviously, the numbers of the yeah. study are entirely based on that. Did that 35% recent institutional experience or was it anecdotal sort of understanding of what the rate of infection was or where did that come from? Because it seems yeah. that, that rates of infection were, you know, reassuringly a lot lower than that.
1: So, like, that's the thing, I suppose, the big thing, like that the study was dramatically underpowered where we got those figures from the 35% and the 20% was we doing kind of the background literature search behind the when doing up the protocol it was from our institution and the other in, the two institutions involved we didn't have accurate figures for our catheter-related bloodstream infection Right, We had our reported figures for late-onset sepsis. We had kind of suspected sepsis, but we didn't have accurate figures for catheter-related bloodstream infection. When we went and looked in the, the published literature that's out there for catheter-related sepsis in infants less than 31 weeks gestation, but there was big variability in the, in the reported rates Um, A lot of the figures, when you look in reports, um, the figures are for what they classify as late onset, which catheter-related bloodstream infection being one of the most common causes of late onset sepsis in premature infants. So we were very much, when we were doing our power calculation, taking these numbers, extrapolating from late onset sepsis, from historical published literature, because we didn't, unfortunately, know our own rates. In fact, and I suppose it's something that we've learned from doing this study that you want to do any studies you need to know what your baseline rates are
2: it's also a problem of sample size estimation or power calculation in I suppose it's an inexact science at some level and it's, it's an educated guesstimate certainly not being absolutely clear about um, institutional rates is a problem but also probably ended up being as much of a problem is that nothing stands still over time yeah. and that's the rates of late-onset sepsis and most likely catheter-related sepsis in our institution, certainly, and I suspect over the Coombe as well, was falling at the time anyway. And that's not just our experience, that's the experience internationally. Um, and that's probably because of greater care. You know, the use of checklists and the use of care bundles, but just in general, a, a greater awareness of catheter-related sepsis and the importance of trying to avoid it. it, it certainly, the greater care in, in our institution was was introduced in the time leading up to the study in maintaining complete sterile precautions when changing anything that was going through, uh, particularly pick lines, uh, things like parenteral nutrition, um, and cleaning hubs kind of fairly assiduously with chlorhexidine and in, in alcohol. So that may have changed things. And perhaps the, just the doing the study and the Hawthorne effect of if you're studying it, but we probably took more care and may have been better at preventing infections just by virtue of studying it. All of those things I think conspired against us to uh, which is a good thing ultimately to see that the rate of um, cancer-related sepsis dropped in all likelihood. Not great for your study, because it means if the event rate goes away, you're radically underpowered as happened uh, in this study. But um, yeah, it certainly left this study underpowered.
0: I guess, um, and just moving on to, to conclusion, I think what I find most interesting and most useful about the study was the discussion of skin damage with tubic and and with the... the yeah, absolutely and the issue of the, the thyroid hormone and the iodine. So I think, um, I mean, do you guys have any comment on that? Because I think that's, I mean, yes, it, the study was ultimately underpowered, but it, it, that by no means means that it is not a powerful study in that those two things are exceptionally important. Yeah. Skin care. I don't know if you have any comment on that.
1: So I suppose I'll start just talking about the skin care thing. And it's one thing I do stress to people who, you know, you tell about this study or read this study and think, this is great chlorhexidine in 2% chlorhexidine. So the stronger concentration in alcohol is great. You can use it on infant skin, 24, 25 weeks gestation, and it's not going to cause any harm. We can't say that. What we can say is using the methods that we carried out the study, using the solution in the amounts that we did, it didn't. We didn't see any differences in the rates of skin reactions. Um, and I personally think that one of the biggest kind of causes of skin damage related to any antiseptic solution in newborn infants and premature infants in particular is the amount of solution that you're using. Um, and I think we showed with the study that you can use small volumes of solution to adequately clean large skin areas. And that if used correctly, skin damage is not a complication
2: I agree completely, Emily. When I say over the years of watching this, usually when we've seen skin burns, um, it's been when you, there's a big white area has been painted particularly periomalikely, and particularly when you have solution that pools around the back. Um, The vial that we used of chlorhexidine contained, it's a small kind of one and a half centimeter long kind of glass vial with a cotton tip on the end of it that you crack and the solution soaks into the tip. It's a very small amount and it sounds tiny and that maybe would be inadequate to clean. It isn't. You can cover quite an area if you need to, and my contention is you don't need to cover a big area anyway. I think you're just looking to clean the insertion site, which usually is just the cut end of the umbilicus. I think it's that umbilical and catheter insertion where most of the problems occur. Um, so if you, I think what the study shows is if you use 0.67 of a mil, it does a very good job and are, are certainly comparable to papadone iodine, and you get surprisingly few skin reactions if you use it sparingly. Absolutely.
0: And Emily, do you have any comment on the thyroid aspect?
1: Yeah, so this was obviously one of the more surprising findings of this study and quite a worrying finding that we came up with. Obviously, you know, there was suspicions there in our head in the background. It has been associated historically with iodine exposure and um, thyroid dysfunction in newborn infants. However, we were quite surprised with the high rates that were found and certainly you can't put it down to chance we don't think it was a chance finding and um, these are very premature infants who are at risk of neurodevelopmental issues to begin with and having an added um, added complication of kind of incidence of um, thyroid dysfunction could be a confounding factor so I think um, it was a very important finding of the study and certainly would be would, is something that would put me away from using providoneidine in these babies and more are on the side of using um, chlorhexidine for it's Um Yes,
2: it's interesting. What we'd love to know, and unfortunately we couldn't do because these babies were ultimately treated uh, by endocrinologists at other institutions, so we didn't have access to the data because um, uh, we hadn't built that into our original study design. Um, But it's interesting when I look back and think about the power calculations, what we've said, which which is right, given the numbers that we we may have needed to show a difference in our primary outcome, we we would have had to enrolled 2,000 or more infants rather than the 304 that we did enroll. I wonder, though, whether we would have ever gotten there uh, given the rate of thyroid dysfunction that we ultimately found and whether that would have been sensible. It it seems to me that if we needed 2,000 infants to show a difference in the rate of catheter-related sepsis, you wonder whether that's how clinically meaningful a difference it would have been to begin with. But such a marked difference in thyroid dysfunction. If I was starting out again, I would be very loath to do a study, I think, which included iodine for that reason. Yeah.
1: You know, there was a lot of any skin reaction or any concerns about a potential skin reaction had to be reported as an adverse event Mm -hmm. to the trial monitoring committee. However, the thyroid dysfunction was kind of a secondary outcome that we just analysed at the end. There was no, we didn't really foresee that it would be as big an issue as it was, but it is clearly an issue. And I think it's one thing that the study has really highlighted and that we should get out there, disseminate this information to people that iodine is not good to use for for these
0: absolutely well th- thank you both very much for a really engaging discussion it's very much appreciated the listeners home can tweet me at Jonathan underscore Davis 3 or the journal at ADC underscore FN and uh, we uh, look forward to any uh, conversations or uh, discussions that they have through the website